Epsilon Theory podcast, where we discuss how the stories we tell about the world change the world. We're grateful that you're listening today. If you enjoyed or learned from what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts. Then come visit us at EpsilonTheory.com, where we write about and discuss narratives in even more detail. Today's episode is going to be all about work and narratives of work. I'm your host today, Rusty Gwynn, and I'm joined as always by my partner, Ben Hunt. Hey, Rusty. Hey, Ben. Uh, And narratives of work has been a topic for us a number of times over the last several years. I actually think it may be the second most common topic after discussions of central banks and the the Fed. I I think you're right. I think you're right, right? So so our... Our our main topic, right, has always been markets being turned into political utilities and that gosh darn Fed and, and all they're doing. Uh, but yeah, work in all of its different forms, whether we're talking about macro aspects of work, wages and unemployment, or whether we're talking about the very personal aspects of work, which frankly has been a, a lot of your contribution here, Rusty, it's it's something we've written a lot about. And I think unintentionally so, by which I mean, we've always thought about Epsilon Theory as being a a blog about politics and markets. We've never explicitly said, and also about work. No, no, you're so right. And and yet, I think where it comes from, Rusty, and there's an aspect, a negative aspect of this I want to talk about in a second, but work... Work is one of these core notions or, or core drivers of our identity, right? And, and I don't just mean our personal identities, right? What what do you do all day, Daddy? You know, you know that there's there's that 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 personal aspect of 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 identity that comes from from work, but it but it even pervades kind of every level, right? Is how we think about our communities, right? Is how we think about our nation. This, this notion of work is is just so embedded in, 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 in every sense of social identity, from the very personal to the, uh, to the very aggregate. It's true, and I think for that reason, one of the things that, that we've noticed is that it tends to also be one of the most cartoonified topics that we would cover. And and because a lot of times whenever we're we're covering a topic, it isn't the topic itself that leads us there. Right. It is the reflections of that topic, the reverberations of that topic and narrative space that that draws us to it. I mean, I I think we've talked a lot about how we aren't we aren't, you know, epidemiologists. We weren't drawn to to COVID because we were interested in its market impact or its economic impact or its Healthcare impact, although we obviously ultimately uh, became uh, very concerned about all those things, it was it's the reverberations in, in narrative space that brought us there. And I think that same thing has often been true for our discussions of the narratives of work, that it continually showed up as a place where there was so much fiat news going on, so much cartoonification, which I'm going to ask you to define for us, for those for those who may not be familiar with our usage of the word cartoon and so we we often end up writing about it. I think again for very indirect and you know unintentional ways. Yeah, that's that's very true, and and I do want to be specific in our terminology. You know, our our, our et lingo, right? Whether it's cartoon or or or, or what have you on this. But th- this is the place where I want to talk about the negative aspect of 
or or my my reaction yeah the 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 negative aspect that that i see in reaction to what we write about work right because and, and this it didn't it didn't really strike me until we saw the i'll say the comments on your most recent piece right which which is is called a working narrative and it's a description of you know our analysis using our narrative machine our narrative research to try to understand in a descriptive way right what are the narratives that are happening right now about return to work post pandemic you know that we've got the narrative of oh remote work is here to stay and it ain't it grand and then there's the the narrative of no we all need to get back to the office and so you wrote a great piece around the again describing those those two narratives that are battling it out in narrative space and you know your 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 findings are okay one of these is winning right and it's the remote work is here to stay that that that's winning the reaction to that note is both less than i would think the note should garner and weirder <laughs> right and not worse. I, I would describe the reception as as positive. Oh yeah, I meant lower, the, less and reaction. And that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah, and 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 it was weirder is the right word. Yeah. And, and and a lot of it is through emails, um, and and ways that that people communicate with us about what we've written. And it is exactly the right word because the the comments didn't disagree. We would just read them or an email, and and we would say, "What? I I don't understand." <laughs> It was it, 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 very weird. Very weird, it, and and uh, as it was as if somebody read the note, and as soon as they saw the note was about work, and this is where we're going to get into talk about cartoons. It's like it triggered something in their head that put them in a mindset of, oh, this is what I think about work. This is my vision of work. Again, either as it applies to me personally, or as it applies to a community or our country, and by God. Once that gets triggered, it's as if that's the only thing that exists in the world. And I got to tell you, Rusty, when when we saw that, when I had that reaction, that most recent note, it was this sort of aha moment because I went back and thought about all the other pieces you and I have written about work. And I realized that's exactly the same response every time I write a note, every time I do a tweet about unemployment or wages or uh, you know, work as a vocation, right? Any anything about that? I'm always disappointed and kind of weirded out by the responses I get because it's as if they're the reader is not able to hear what I have to say, and that kind of makes me upset or upset on your behalf. Well, and what I would say as an extension, lest anyone think this is us um, bristling at, at the responses because right, it's right, not. They're right. they're they're. they're it's positive. It's just unusual. Is that I've seen this in myself as well. Mm-hmm. And and actually, if if you look back at a piece that I wrote, which was called "In Praise of Work," it was literally me writing a piece that I felt inclined to write after having read two other yes. pieces. One of which was um, from a, an excellent writer at at the Atlantic who wrote a piece about workism, mm-hmm. and and. 
And I sort of, my immediate response was, so here's what you've got to understand about workism, right? <laughs> I, I felt that same response to which I'm, I'm guessing that, that Derek, who was the original author, was probably like, that's kind of weird. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Or, or you know, I'll, I'll write a piece about, uh, and I'm, I want to use it, call it by the phrase, wage inflation, you know, wages going up. I've written a, a couple of notes about this recently. I mean, it's it's here. It's happening. My personal view is is that that's a good thing. I I I, I like for wages to go up. I think that's good for our country, et cetera. That wasn't what I was writing the article about. Right. But my my point was it exists. It is, and the reaction to that note, it was as if there was no engagement with that. Is well, let's talk about whether that's a good thing. And that, as it happens, I kind of do think it's a good thing. It can't be disconnected from wages and prices. Companies aren't going to give up all their 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 profits and just pay more in wages and not raise prices. There is none of this happens in a vacuum. We need to be aware of this. But that didn't happen, right? In the, in the reaction to this, it was it was. People read the note, and then that triggers them to say, okay, this is the aspect, the aspect of work. Here's what work means to me, right? Like, like you were describing, it prompted you to write your note. And it, it's, it's more than any other subject I think we, we write about, including the Fed or anything else that we write a lot about, more than any other subject, work triggers this in ourselves, in our readers, and that was kind of an aha moment for me today. Yeah, it, it will, and I think in it was an aha moment for me as well. Even though the the very principle that we're discussing right now is one that we've we've written about, it's sort of a fundamental epsilon theory idea. Yep. Right. And and it's the the foundation of all of the narrative research work that we're doing right now for you know all of our financial markets research and our and our professional clients, which is thinking about. The stories we tell in terms of archetypes, yep, right? Archetypes. Thinking about a specific set of framings for every kind of story that can be told, and I think all that we're describing right here is that work happens to be one of those topics for which, number one, there are a lot of different framings. Right? This is not a topic which which hues to this bimodal distribution that is so infected everything else. Although there are attempts to push it in that direction, which yep. is a lot of what I was writing about in my piece, there are at least a dozen different framings. And what I mean by framing is when you read anything that talks about what work means, what labor means, wages, anything related to jobs, careers, finding meaning in your life, all of these mm -hmm. adjacent concepts to work, what we mean by framing is this idea of a story that you have in your mind that once you start reading it, every fact, detail, and argument you are comparing to that framing as opposed to taking on its own merits. On a, and, and so you start to auto-tune, if you will, yep. the, the what you are hearing to slot into certain archetypes, whether it's your own and contrasting it with your own or whether it's some other archetype that you know. And, and I think that what's so maybe not unique, but peculiar about this work topic is that there are so many of those archetypes, number one, and number two, that we hold so strongly to them. And I think you alluded early in this conversation to, to the, 
the reason for that second point or a big reason for that second point, which is that so many of these things are so tied up in 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 matters of identity. Yep. And I, and I want to focus on these two aspects that you just teased out here, Rusty. The number of archetypes or story arcs or uh, consistent cartoons that exist around work. Uh, and second, how that is driven by our our hunger, our innate human hunger to create a story we can tell about ourselves, right? Because that is what identity is. It's the story we tell about ourselves. But and 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 that's kind of where I want to end up, right? The 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 notion of identity and 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 maintaining some autonomy over that identity, right? That we don't let other people tell us what story we have to tell about ourselves, yeah. right? So I want to start with the the first of those two, which is just the number of archetypes. And and the the way I like to think about this is, and I and I think we've used this in a in a in a podcast before, but I I think about uh, television shows, right? Whether it's a uh, a Friends, you, you know, the the Friends series of of comedies, right? Where they just had the reunion. There are, I would guess, out of how many hundred. Friends episodes they exist. I would guess there are about a dozen scripts, right? A dozen, a dozen archetypal scripts for a Friends episode. I have never watched a single episode. Oh my of Friends. god! Really? I have no idea. That's that's uh, I, that's troubling. I know that Paul Rudd was on for like a season. That's the only thing I know, because I like Paul Rudd. But no, I've never watched Friends. Wow! Wow! Well, you know, you know, maybe let me use a different example. Uh, Law and Order. Law I've order. never watched an episode oh my, of Law and Order. I don't know you, Rusty. What? What? I, people say they don't have time for television. I say you make time for television. This is this is this is this. Is I agree. Disturbing. These are just these are just not shows in my wheelhouse. I'm wow. Just, anyway, wow. but I, it's anyway. a universally applicable concept. So you could use Friends, and I can put in a show that that, that is is good and fun to watch in my own head. As okay. As a, Okay. Okay. Yes. Yes. That's right. You can. You can. You can auto tune what I'm Except saying. Except I'll to, use Seinfeld, and I think this rule doesn't necessarily apply for Seinfeld in the same way. The, the, you know. You know what? I think you're right. I that's think, a, that's an episode of its own, though. So. Uh, yeah, I, I think in many respects, there's only one episode of Seinfeld. I think that's right. Right. Uh, but but the point being that for I'll say more scripted or trope heavy shows like Law and Order, of which there have been hundreds filmed, or friends or any sitcom which like with friends hundreds of them filmed there are a finite number probably uh you know low double digit number of scripts and all of them and this is true for 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 movies as well hollywood movies there's a structure right three acts act one act two act three everything fits into that it's the same thing with political and market narratives that that's what we mean by archetypes now your point earlier, though, about how everything in our certainly political world today, the attempt is to either make it red or blue, right? Is to pull it into one of the two political camps. That effort is made around work. But I think my feeling, I want to know what you think about this. My feeling is that's not as successful in the, the the archetypes around work that that I can think of examples where, you know, you've got strange bedfellows, let's call this, around the archetypes of work. 
and and they they exist and they pers- persist. They don't lend themselves easily to the Democratic Republican red blue divide. And I and I'm and I'm curious, kind of what you think about why that might be the case, or or some examples of of what we're talking about. Yeah. Here. Well, so I think that uh, when we talk about the number of different areas of personal and social and political life that work intersects with yep it at each of those intersections intersects with very powerful both personal measures of identity as well as as measures of political identity and mm-hmm. belonging right mm-hmm. and so what I, what I mean by that for example as as we sort of talk about strange bedfellows or strange opponents I think on for example on the political left, You've got two groups which, in the red-blue divide, are being pulled by the same memes, the same narratives, the same tropes toward Team Team Blue, and and I want well, the first group that I want to talk about is think of the AOC fan group, the typical AOC okay. fan, right? And and there are there are fans of of AOC that would span all sorts of demographics. By the way, I'm kind of a fan of AOC, but I'll I'll leave that aside. Um, I'm I'm a fan of her willingness to act on principle, and that's about it. And, <laughs> yeah. and her Twitter persona, which, yes. which is not nothing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not um, small, yeah. But you know, so but I think there's sort of an archetypal again that yes. word fan, which is probably a millennial, probably college educated, probably upper middle class, and yep. well employed. Yep. And and I think that group is also a group that tends to be. I would say relatively opposed to this corporatist system mm-hmm. of career as identity, of job as a describer of anyone's merit to society, and in fact, probably a little bit of a faction of anti-work, meaning oh. the purpose of living is not to work and to actually avoid working, if at all possible. Definitely anti-corporatist, right? I mean, no, we don't need Amazon building their headquarters in our backyard, Correct. right? Yeah. And yet, you've got a group of what I would say are more traditional progressive being pulled by the same political memes toward the, the the bimodal distribution of Team Blue. Yep. Who are traditional, God's honest Marxists, union members, people yes. who actually think. Let's call them trade unionist as opposed to Marxist, but I get your point. Well, I mean, when I say <laughs> Marxist, I'm including both trade union members as well as academics who believe in For the words sure, of Karl Marx. Yes. Who look at work and say, well, wait a minute, we're trying to organize society in a way in which labor is the thing which is most valued. Exactly. And these these become two almost diametrically opposed views on the on on a potential framing. Because those same people, that may not be the frame through which they they hear yep. work and talk about it, but but it may be one for them that puts them at odds with someone who is very politically close to them in terms of identity. And so when a topic like remote work comes up, there are some who say, well, the corporatists just want to get us back in the office so that they can put us in the cubicle farm, monitor our behavior, and make sure we're good little boys and girls. Yep. And someone from the exact same political tribe may may say, well, I guess they're going to stop passive-aggressively monitoring my, you know, my usage through Microsoft Teams while I'm sitting at home when I go off to get a coffee away from my computer for a minute and I can't separate my personal and business life, these Orwellian oppressive remote work, you know, employers. And so 
it's it doesn't follow those traditional patterns because I think there are so many intersection points yep. in each of the social, political, and personal values elements of our lives that that, that it's so unpredictable. It is. I, I love that example, right? So it, you've got a political tribe that is comprised of both people for whom labor with a capital L is everything and people for whom labor is is nothing right or or is is not is not the core of their their, their identity in fact they they're opposed to thinking of their identity in that respect or those those second group you know to people yeah. who are already they're, they're already passing it through the framing in their mind to say whoa 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 I'm not saying it isn't labor. I'm saying the the modern conceptualization of labor as this corporate job or career right. thing, which is another framing, which is a little bit closer to my own, right? Which is what I wrote about it in Praise of Work, which is that the work we do is holy. The job, the career, the the you know the construct through which it is is presented is not. And so again, there's there's these these nuances to when when someone says. Well, here's what you got to understand about work, or here's what you got to understand about remote work. They're sitting in their mind saying, that's not the important thing. No, 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 no. You're missing the real social problem. The real thing that we're doing wrong with this work thing is A, wages aren't rising. B, we're letting, you know, corporatists define jobs as this identity thing. C, we're not valuing labor enough. I mean, there's, and, and that's where you start endless, to build. Or not endless, but but it's a large number of these different archetypes of sorry, these these cartoons, these abstractions yes. that we use to understand the world. And, and, and that's what we mean by a cartoon. It's really an abstraction of an abstraction, right? There's no such thing. I mean, well, the notion of labor or a labor force, right? That's an abstraction. What we mean by a cartoon is the the simplification, the 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 molding of even that abstraction labor force into something that can be used in a narrative that we call labor with a capital L, right? Meaning April non-farm payroll is labor. Exactly. Right. And, and, and so those are the sort of the cartoons and the construction of these cartoons that we've done a lot of writing about and, and they, they, they are totally constructed Right. And then what I've written a lot about is about how when we talk about the wages, we present that the presentation of this cartoon, the drawing of that cartoon is in the form of hourly wages, which is something that, yes, some people get paid on an hourly basis, but most Americans do not. And yet all of our wages are converted are are transformed into a hourly wage and that and the story of that construction is fascinating right because it 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 it, we started doing this when the labor department was first formed and this is in the 1930s and this is to present a picture of labor conditions that would be politically advantageous to the 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 Roosevelt administration, right? That that was the idea of this construction, right? And yet it persists today. And so we take this as well. Of course, that's how we think about wages, right? In terms of well, what was the hourly wage that this cartoon we've constructed out of 
out of all the people who work, you, you know, not on a farm, you know, in, in, yeah. in the United States. And yet, again, to, to get back to the, to the point is driving this, I've written three or four notes about this. And, and it's, it's the number that you get on that first Friday of, of, of every month that markets react significantly to, right? Billions of dollars are lost and made on the basis of this number. I, I write about this and say, well, the, you know, there's no reason. There are actually other numbers also collected by the you know, Labor Department that are much more direct representations of what we're all making. What what wages are in the in the United States? It, shouldn't we be using those numbers? And I, I I write this, and you know we've got a pretty big megaphone here. There are a lot of people who read what 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 we write, Rusty. The reaction to all these notes has just been a gigantic yawn. It I I can't find a way to get that snowball rolling down the hill. Right? That 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 we should look at labor and wages in a different way, a way that wasn't constructed for pure politics in the 1930s. Yeah, and I keep coming back. This is this is why I think it gets a yawn. I, I think because we think of work, whether we're talking about wages, whether we're talking about unemployment, whether we're talking about you know, labor with a capital L or unemployment uh, benefits, right? Income inequality. Income inequality. Demographic inequality, social inequality. I mean, these are all things that get wrapped up. We all have our boxes that are very convenient is the wrong word, but, but, but maybe not, but that are convenient and are comfortable to us, that work for us. And the the internal impetus to change our vision of what work means is incredibly limited is incredibly small yeah and and it's and, and this nuance is important because we're, we're not just saying you change your opinion of work right no, it's 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 literally the what you, what it is that you think is important and what are the facts about that someone else may be coming from that you think is is unimportant right because i think that you have you know very different weightings of those eight or nine different intersection points that that, yep. you, that you just read off in in everyone's framing of of an issue like this, and what I found so interesting, and and what we wrote about in this most recent note, is that that hasn't stopped missionaries no. from trying to very explicitly find the most attractive such framings to attach this idea of remote work too. And and so yep. it, you know just full disclosure because we you know we didn't talk about it in the piece. Ben and I, I mean I don't want to speak for you but I think this is true. I have mixed views about what it would mean for more of the American workforce to have remote work as a default. I do not think that is a, it is a universal positive for society. Well before I move on, I'll ask you do you have a definitive view on whether remote work and and its expansion is a definitive good or bad? Uh, uh, no, no, of course not. No, and, and, and I, it works for me. <laughs> right? Yes. Right? It, I, I, it works for me, and so I will. I, I, I know that what I tend to do is I tend to project that on 
my community, on society at large, onto everything. Uh, but no, no, I, I, I look, I don't think work in you know the modern office space. I, I think of work in the way it is structured and the way I think about uh, the way education is is structured. It is industrially necessary. I, I it what I react very strongly to, and this is the note I wrote about the, the called it the industrially necessary egg. Yes. Right. Where you know personally I'm in a position where I can we have chickens, right? We get fresh eggs. You do too. Yes. You do too, Rusty. And those eggs, they're not cool. They're not refrigerated. They're not particularly clean. <laughs> our eggs aren't. Yours, yours probably are spick and span, but, but, but ours <laughs> take a little, uh, what you call getting them fingernail clean, right? You don't, and they're, they're the best eggs in the world for me, right? If you try to give away half a dozen of our only fingernail clean eggs that have never been in a refrigerator to a neighbor, the reaction you often get is, oh, okay, thank you, right? Because they're not cool to the touch. They're not scrubbed clean. And so you've all been trained to think of those grocery store eggs as not just an egg, but as the good egg. That that is the way an egg should be. Of course it should be refrigerated. Of course it should be scrubbed and cleaned. When in truth, those qualities of refrigeration and scrubbing it clean with a solution that's not to present a good egg. That's because it is required for the industrial production of eggs, right? It's the industrially necessary egg that we have now come to a belief that, well, that is what a good egg is. So the office job is the industrially necessary manifestation of work. The office job is the industrially necessary manifestation of work in the same way that our public school systems are the industrially necessary um, implementation of, of of education for our children, it, and I and I resist the notion that they are inherently good or bad. In fact, I can tell you that for me, those aren't the good eggs. Right? Yeah. The 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 local egg, the, the egg I get that's not refrigerated and it's only fingernail clean. I think that's the better egg for me. But I understand that for mass society, you need the industrially necessary. What I react poorly to is for somebody to tell me, beyond industrially necessary, that's the good. And that, that's what I react to in, the, in all of this debate yes. uh, over working from home or working in an office. I, I, it's neither good nor bad. It either is or isn't in a particular degree. And if we're moving away from what I kind of thought was the industrially necessary vision of work, there are some real consequences for that, to your point, yes. and they ain't all good. They're not all good, and, 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 and yet, on balance, right, because I don't think it's possible to generalize, but if you sort of aggregate all of the individual better or worses, I think it's probably better that we consider moving some of the jobs out of the industrially necessary environment. And I do yep. think on balance, that's probably a good thing, but the, the you know, you, you kind of threw good and bad around. And what I guess I'll say is that 
What I find distasteful in a lot of this is that if I say, I think it's generally a good thing that employers and employees are likely to come out of this with more flexibility mm-hmm. to work remotely. The number of views which can then be ascribed to me right because because of that position is you you are sure to find something in that grab bag that is going to satisfy your Trigger. desire to piss me off yes right yes. because yeah if you say that you support a return you know that you think it's generally good that that we're going to be increasing remote work well in a way, you're sort of saying that you're kind of fine with the fact that we're incre- increasing the class division in society between yep. the people who who, can. don't, who can't and the people who, who can do that. But meanwhile, you're also attaching yourself to the idea that in-office FaceTime requirements are this longstanding waste of resources and, well, that seems kind of like a, a good side of the equation, or... Mm-hmm. You are either more or less opposed to meeting culture and yep. this idea that, you know, being there and being part of a family and all these sort of memes that emerged out of companies wanting to to get you to be um, become emotionally attached to them. Every, anything you say about remote work was already being attached to one or more of these ideas one way or another, or people could choose by you saying that you were either for or against a continuation or a move toward more work from home or remote work, that you also thought one of these things. What I'm saying and what we've written in this piece is that missionaries are making that even more aggressive push right. to attach. And this is specifically why we're sort of saying that the, 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 the this is going to continue is that those missionary statements have been most aggressive in attaching meaning to a continuation of remote work that is opposed to the abuse of workers by, you know, bad man- middle managers in corporate America. Protecting the environment. Protecting think, the environment. Right. Think, think of all the carbon we're going to, to, to not emit if we don't have these, the, these commutes. Being pro-women. Yep, yep. To allowing people who are lower income to work from areas, you know, work in, in jobs where that, that don't require them to live in, you know, more expensive real estate markets. Here's what I think is going on, Rusty. I, I think that we are moving from what is industrially necessary to what is industrially preferable. And once you start getting into that, and and, and I think in large part that our the 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 necessity of reacting to the pandemic has kind of revealed that a lot of what we took to be industrially necessary was not perhaps necessary, but it satisfies a certain set of preferences. And once you start talking about what's preferable, then as opposed to what's necessary, then you enter the world of politics. Right? Because that that's what politics is. Yes. It's about shaping out, you know, shaking out preference functions and associating it with other preference functions. So what we see with, as you say, missionaries today, man, we're going to see so much more of this to 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 now that we all see, now that the common knowledge is that, well, uh, we don't have to go into the office to do good work. You know, it's not it's not something that everybody knows that everybody knows. 
it's it's now well it's not industrially necessary it's just yeah maybe industrially preferable for you you know apple management but not necessarily preferable to me apple employee so i mean that's what politics is it's the it's the the it's the expression of preferences and getting people you can can convince that you are the representative of their preferences well that's how you get a following that's how you get a following on twitter that's how you get a following in politics and that's why entrepreneurs right political entrepreneurs with a talent for this stuff like an aoc right like frankly a lot of people on the right too right and and, and I think most of the political entrepreneurs there have gone out of business in the last couple. Of months. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, I mean, I, yeah, I I don't. Right. I I I, th- I think that work though. Yeah. Now that it has been converted from a, a a realm of common knowledge. Well, everyone knows it. Everyone knows you got to go into the office. It's it's just the way the world is. That's what I mean by industrially yeah. necessary. Right. That it's just the way the world is. And this is, of course, not just the way it has to be, but this is the way it should be. That's what the conflation of industrially necessary with the good egg is all about. Now that it's kind of up for grabs, now it's like, well, frankly, I I mean, it's not common knowledge anymore. We don't all know that we all know you have to go into the office to work. What I have found interesting, though, is that I think some of the the companies, the employers, who whether correctly or incorrectly, feel strongly that they want their workers back in the office environment, whether it's, you know, a, you know, industrially preferable or industrially necessary, right? They, the, the missionary efforts from, from these parties to message that, well, all the, all the companies that are mature adult companies are, are bringing people back in or, you know, t- to the extent that they would want to appeal to certain you know other political angles than the ones that are being appealed to on the remote work side to say look guys unless you're afraid of catching a virus that does you know doesn't even have infection rates above you know x percent in any of these markets you should be coming back into the office what are you afraid right 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 and and we're not seeing any of that And, and that's the thing that has been kind of surprising to me is that it all of the missionary effort that is is really catching and is reverberating really does appear to be on this side of of promoting all of the positive benefits of remote work the the very many i think negative potentially orwellian concerning features of of a more permanent cycle of remote remote work are 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 just getting buried at least in narrative space and that's the, that's the thing that i found kind of fascinating about a lot of this yeah i i i i agree with that the strength of the narrative what surprised me and we saw this in the crypto space as well right over the last few weeks the notion that oh my god bitcoin is horrible for the environment man that that story arc around yeah. crypto that's got legs right very prominent missionaries starting with elon bringing that up and now elizabeth warren yeah. yesterday really making that her focus as well around crypto that's replaced the notion of, I think, in large part, oh, crypto is just used by criminals, right? You're not, you're, you're not, you're not in favor of terrorism, are you? Right? No. Now it's 
you're not in favor of destroying the environment, are you? Yes. That, that's been an incredibly interesting transition and a very effective transition in the narrative around Bitcoin and crypto more generally. I see the same thing happening in the increasingly political narrative around work. Yeah. Right? This, this, the, the, the ESG aspect of remote work, I'm telling you, Rusty, it's got legs. And, and, I, and I see this from lots of different sources. Uh, it impacts, you know, oh, I can't believe you're going to, are you in favor of long commutes and all the carbon that puts in there? Are you in favor of business travel for a, for, for, for a meeting? It's, it's there, and, and, and it is absolutely growing. And, and, and this gets back to one of the things that, you know, is, is, is the ever-present very a correct response to hearing that, which is, well, no, I actually think most meetings that people would travel for for business are pretty stupid. Yes. And, and, yes. yes. I and, agree with that. Yeah. And it still is a missionary statement. And, and I think being able to think of the world in and, yes, I may believe that's true, and it's a missionary statement, is an important I think evolution in thinking and, and it kind of gets back to the conclusion, you know, that I made in my piece because, you know, I, it really did get me thinking about how I had responded to reading a really excellent original article mm-hmm. for in the Atlantic and thinking, no, no, I've got to, but I've got to tell people what really matters yes. A, a, yes. about work. And um, it, I really came away feeling very strongly that, you know, if we're going to be full hearted about, topics and our conversations with other people, the the areas where we have to f- really focus on allowing others to tell us what they mean rather than applying our own framings to to essentially assign an allegory to what they you know to, to give them an archetype for, oh you're you're just you're giving me this argument and let me tell you all the reasons that's wrong. I think this is one of those topics where full heartedness in our interactions with and conversations with others is really important. There are so many intersection points for work, and I think many of them are really authentic places of importance to people that are being presented to us in narrative space as being inherently in conflict with one another. When in fact, many of them are entirely complementary, entirely orthogonal, to use a word we, we talk about in finance sense, which is to say that they, they are not driven by the same things. They're not necessarily related, and they may, be, they may be completely compatible. And yet, because we think that this, this, this view that we have of what is important about work and what really matters is so strong, I think we're, we're very quick to turn off listening with open ears and a full heart to what someone else is telling us about why what work matters to them and how it uh, is part of their identity. Yeah. Yeah, Rusty, you know, I, I think so. I'm, I just turned 57, you know, a few weeks ago. And, and when I think about how I'm still trying to grow as, as a human, um, I, I can, I can think that over the, you know, the last, years and decades and and it and I'm as with all these things I'm still not where I'd like to be but I I I I do see the world differently in the sense that I understand so much better than I did you know when I was younger that I'll put it to issues of race and gender um I I don't 
I don't see the world the way other people do, meaning that 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 in, in, meaning that everyone brings the has a has a, a perspective and a view on those issues. And and I've come to learn that you know I need to frankly be more open in, in my own thinking that that others are having valid views on those subjects, right? And I'm being a little tongue-tied here because it's so these are hard things to talk about, right? What I'm what I'm learning just over the last few weeks is that our views on work and the way that it impacts the story we tell about ourselves and our notion of identity, they're as as constraining and something that I've got to personally work on understanding another's perspective their perspective on work as much as a perspective on race or gender and their, their experience with that. And so ah, it's, it, 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 this, this is what I think growth means, you know, to, 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 as you say, see in, engage with the world with a full heart is to not react with a, Oh, that's weird. You know, someone's reaction to something I write but to react with, all right, they're seeing the world of work in a very different way than I was writing about it or that I was seeing about it. And it's incumbent on me to kind of open my understanding to allow for that perspective and to see the validity of that perspective. And it's not something I had really thought about before. But work is so core to to how we think about ourselves, like I say, the story we tell about ourselves, that we all need to work on not rejecting, but but understanding that 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 the cartoons, the the the, the auto tuning, we're all doing it, and we all need to do less of it. I think that's a great point, Ben. Well, I think that'll conclude our conversation today. Um, as a, It was a good one. Uh, and as always, uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. And I'd uh, uh, like to ask you, if you enjoyed the podcast, uh, please go on to the service where you downloaded it. Like, share, and subscribe. Uh, and leave us a comment. It really is helpful. Leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, send us an email. Let us know about any topics you'd like us to cover. Most importantly, come over to the website at www.epsilontheory.com and come visit the forum where we uh, continue all the conversations we have on our podcasts. Thanks.